Welcome to the Nach Daily, a Congregation of Havas Torah initiative. Today we are picking up with the 16th parak of Sefer Yehoshua. But first, let's have a brief overview of the learning that we've done individually over the weekend, Prakim Yudalid and Tesvav, chapters 14 and 15. In these Prakim, the land inheritance falling to the tribe of Yehuda is outlined in great detail. The lens also zooms in to describe how Kalev from the tribe of Yehuda steps forward to receive his special allotment of Hebron, which required that he go and conquer uh, that land, which was still inhabited by giants. He receives the special portion, of course, because of his bravery and integrity uh, during the episode of the spies under the leadership of Moshe. He was one of the Miraglim sent to Kena'an, and he comes back with a positive report. This is his unique reward. We are then told that Kalev says that anyone who's able to wrest Kiryat Sefer from the resident giant population could marry his daughter Achsa, and it is Atniel ben Kenaz who is able to do so. Someone that we're going to encounter again, so it's worth noting that name, Atniel ben Kenaz. Then we get to Arperek, which begins outlining the inheritance of the sons of Yosef, first Ephraim, and in the next Perek, Menashe. And it's important to take a moment to consider the juxtaposition of these four prakim two discussing Yehuda, and then Ephraim and Menashe. What's the organizing principle here? It's obviously not about geography. They're not even contiguous tribes in terms of their portion in the land. And it's not going in age order. That would have started differently and proceeded differently. So what's the organizing principle? The structure, I believe, is a subtle gesture at a not-so-subtle, in fact, quite central, thread that is woven throughout much of Tanakh. Namely, the competing claims to leadership of the tribes of Yehuda and Yosef. Let's quickly review some of Sefer Bereshis in a way that will highlight exactly what I'm referring to. Yosef is Rachel's firstborn child. And were it not for the cruel and backhanded intervention of Lavan, he would have been the outright Bechor to Yaakov. No asterisk next to his name. He would have been the Bechor. But... As we know, Lavan tricked Yaakov into marrying Leah rather than Rachel first. And so Leah bears the first child, and that is Ruvain, who is technically the Bechor, full stop. However, Yaakov clearly views Yosef as his Bechor. And this is in the episode prior, in the narrative prior to Yosef being sold to Egypt. As is indicated by Yaakov giving the Ketonet Pasim, uh, the, the, the tunic, the special garment, to Yosef, which is a extremely symbolically loaded gesture. And it, it reflects Yaakov's obvious uh, feelings towards Yosef and his perception of Yosef as the Bechor. And so we're set up at that point for a showdown between Yosef and Reuven, the real Bechor and the perceived Bechor, the Bechor of Rachel and the Bechor of Leah. Reuven, however, unfortunately, has a kind of fall. Uh, he disgraces himself in the episode of Bilhah. And again, we, we see that he's, he's not really suitable for leadership in his failure to exercise that leadership to save Yosef. So he essentially loses his standing as the firstborn and is, and is knocked off that mantle. Next, it would go to Shimon and Levi. They're the next in line to fill the vacuum, the void left by Reuven, but they likewise are passed over because of their um, involvement in the episode of Shechem uh, and the, uh, the rape of Dina, 
Uh, and again, their dealings in that episode clearly upset Yaakov in a, in, 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 to a great degree. And they are also not the heir apparent to Reuven as a result. And then we get to Yehuda. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Yehuda looks very promising initially. It's clear that he is admired, respected by his brothers. He has uh, their respect. But he has also a, a kind of fall, and that is the episode of Tamar. Fortunately, though, he's able to rally. And by the end of Sefer Bereshis, he establishes himself quite firmly uh, as, as a Bechor candidate. How do we see that? Yaakov entrusts Yehuda to go bring Binyamin back down to Egypt in order to then get Shimon from jail. Uh, he again sends Yehuda uh, in front of the group. He dispatches Yehuda ahead of the rest of the Bnei Yisrael as they go down finally to Egypt to be saved from the famine. And so it's clear that Yehuda is functioning as a kind of Bechor at the end of Sefer Bereshis. And so we have the, the final, the true rift established. It's not going to be between Reuven and Yosef, but between Yehuda and Yosef. And we might think that in the blessings that Yaakov gives to his children at the end of his life, it would resolve this question, and we will finally, once and for all, determine, well, who is the Bechor? But not so. In what respect? Well, Yaakov basically splits the difference because he blesses Yehuda with the leadership of the Jewish people. We know that the leadership will not fall from his hands, whatever that means. It requires a little bit fuller treatment, but he's blessed with the kingship. But Yosef is also given a very loaded uh, gift and inheritance, and that is Pishnayim. He gets a double portion. Yosef is the only one of the brothers who has a double portion of the land, both Ephraim and Menashe. And so we are left with this ambiguity. Who is the rightful Bechor? Who gets the keys to the kingdom? And the rift continues on for centuries to follow. It is subtly present even when it is not uh, spoken about explicitly. For example, Yehoshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. He represents Team Yosef. He represents Team Rachel. His colleague and fellow spy, Kalif, who remains an important and impressive presence throughout Sefer Yehoshua, is from Yehuda. Shaul, the first Israelite king, is from the tribe of Binyamin. We would expect that a king should be from Yehuda, but he's from Binyamin. And Binyamin, of course, represents Team Yosef and Team Rachel. Then, of course, we arrive at Malchus based David. David HaMelech is from the tribe of Yehuda. Then when the kingdom splits, we have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is, is referred to as Ephraim. And the southern kingdom, Yehuda. And then jumping much later, Yechezkel says that Hashem commanded him, God commands him to take a stick, one of which uh, two sticks, one that says Yehuda on it, one that says Yosef on it, and to bring it together, symbolically gesturing at the fact that the exile will end when these two, um, these two factions can come together finally, Yehuda and Yosef. 
The point is that, quite remarkably, the trickery of Lavan proves not just to be a, a cruel and unfortunate event in Yaakov's life. It establishes a fault line in Israel that will continue to be relevant for generations throughout Tanakh. It's one that is brought to the fore in the presentation of Yehuda here in Sefer Yehoshua of, Yeho- of Yehuda's inheritance, followed by Yosef's double portion in the in the Prakim in Prakim uh, Ted Zion and then Yud Zion, and it is one that we would be wise to keep our eye on as we advance steadily through Nevi'im and Kisuvin. That's it for today. Happy learning, Chazak ve'Matz.